Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get going with today's podcast, I want to talk about a collaboration we have with Glazier Clinics. To honor the fifth year anniversary of the podcast, we have a special sweepstakes together where you can win flight for two, hotel, and a rental car, as well as a Glazier Pass for your staff. To do that, go to glazierclinics.com slash win and enter there. It's that time of year where the first thing we do is going to thinking about our plans for next year and making decisions about what the future looks like. Those are important aspects of coaching for sure. However, I want to start by reiterating something I said on the podcast last week. Evaluation is a minimized aspect of building a strong culture. We hear about core values and pillars and leadership, which are all crucial to the strength of a culture and a program, but too often we sweep the real things that can help improve our team under the carpet and rely on the theory that culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's a popular phrase that's almost becoming cliche to our own detriment. The idea puts the two concepts at odds, culture and strategy. And speaking with a longtime coaching friend of mine, St. Xavier Offensive Coordinator Andrew Coverdale, as well as one whom I would call a culture expert in Brian Kite, the confrontation or choice between which is more important does not really need to take place. Coach Coverdale is quick to point out that he believes that this is a false dichotomy. In a podcast we did years ago, he said the following, and I quote, I've heard the phrase, culture trumps scheme. I'm not bashing it, But I would say that I want to be a part of a culture that wants to have the best of everything, the best of how we care for each other, the best of how we practice, the best of how we learn, the best of how we hit. So technique and scheme fit seamlessly into that kind of culture I would want. I don't know I would want to be in a culture that devalued scheme because scheme is all about giving your kids opportunities. End quote. Brian Kite also touched on this in a past podcast. He believes the relationship between culture and strategy is misunderstood as well. The purpose of culture is to generate behaviors that win in strategy execution. The two are tied together and one is not more important than the other. 
he pointed out that a strategy's job is to say, let's do this in order to win in the marketplace. Strategy then hands off execution to culture. So as I said, culture is set up intentionally against strategy. It's not all about culture. Culture drives the strategy. Brian Kite said this, quote, If you separate culture from strategy, you will have a bunch of people with super great attitude blowing in the wind. You have to connect culture with strategy. Culture has a singular purpose. Drive the behaviors that win. End quote. The point that both Coach Coverdale and Brian Kite are making is that culture and strategy are equally important. Coach Coverdale wants strategy to be valued to the point that behaviors that are part of the culture reflect the strategy's value. And Brian Kite clearly explains the relationship between the two as well as what needs to be developed first. Looking at it this way creates a clear process for success that values both culture and strategy. So that brings us back to this time of the year in a way which we're going to evaluate all the strategy, all the scheme, all the things we did during the season. And that's an important part of this. We have to start with that evaluation. Mike Kuchar of XNO Labs calls this an autopsy. And he'll be joining us to discuss the player-driven culture system, a study of the seven behaviors that create and sustain player ownership of football programs. Just an outstanding study that he's written a book on and he's put a course together on CoachTube. I'll share the links to that one in the show notes. But going back to what he said, that it's an autopsy. And I think it creates the imagery in how we need to think about our approach that we must take before we move on to the next season. I know some coaches will be moving on to new programs or taking over for a program for the first time. And I'd suggest that for those coaches, this is crucial for you to get things going in the right direction, for you to understand exactly where that program is at. All of this starts with an honest evaluation that puts the data of the past season in front of us in black and white. And we have to go deeper into areas and dig for further truths. We may have to use some uh, subjective judgments as we look at certain aspects, but what can be derived from the process of evaluation can be eye-opening for how your program, unit, or position needs to be developed moving forward, but also for your own individual professional growth as a coach. So today I want to talk about the first step in this process, which is gathering the data. And we'll continue this discussion here as we wind down the year with multiple guests who will be here to help us break down the way they analyze the aspects of the program, as well as sharing stories of the lessons they've learned from 2021. When I think back to my early years as a coach, I point to the 2003 season as pivotal in teaching me the power of evaluation. And after spending two years as a head coach, I went back to my previous stop as the offensive coordinator and I'd end up taking over as the head coach that next season. But after the 2003 season, what I had done previously both as an assistant and as a head coach when it came to our offensive, defensive, and special team systems was to look for the obvious and say, this was the problem or this is what we need to do next year. But I did that without much supporting data. And I would say that approach is fine but it didn't give me or the staff or the players everything that we needed to move forward. 
what concerned us that year as a staff and me as an offensive coordinator was that we won the games we should have, but the tough ones we faltered and our run game was especially weak in those games. We had a talented team full of good skill players and big strong linemen, and we needed answers as our offense sputtered against the top teams in our conference. What had led us to conference championships in the past was no longer getting us to where we needed to be. And the answers would come out of our offseason research and analysis, the evaluation of what we had just done. The results we found were not necessarily expected, but they painted a clear picture that we needed to make a change. And what exactly that change would be and how we would do would get there was not quite clear at that time, but the analysis of what we did was. And we narrowed the analysis down to give us clarity as to what our problems were. We focused on our analysis of our top four opponents in our conference who were now giving us problems or beating us. And we extended that back for several years because those same teams in our conference, we had a record of one and seven against. So we wanted to see what was it in those eight games that was causing the problems for us. So we first analyzed our run efficiency and against most opponents, running the ball for a four-plus yard gain was accomplished on a regular basis. But in contrast, in these eight games, our run efficiency, which we defined as four yards or better, or enough to gain a first down in short yardage situation, was 40%. And we aimed to be at 55%. So that was far below what we were looking for. We only gained four yards or better 40% of the time in those games. And again, that was over a three-year period. And this was not very good for a team that prided itself on running the ball. That was one of the biggest things we wanted to accomplish on offense was to establish the run game. So further analysis showed us that uh, in those games, we averaged 3.44 yards per carry and only eight plays in those eight games were explosive. And we define that as 12 yards or better using the Mike Ayers uh, explosives study. This was far from our goal of having 13 explosives per game. So clearly the data showed that our run game was faltering versus our best opponents. What struck us as the most shocking was the discovery that in those eight games, we called 32 different run plays. So we are clear we're defining a play as a variation in scheme. So the scattering of our calls in these 32 different plays showed no evidence of a base run game, which we were hanging our hat on. That's a problem. Additionally, we realized that the reps we would give a play in practice with that many different calls would not allow us to be aggressive and come off the ball and play fast, all the things we want as an offense. There was too much confusion, especially if the defense moved or showed up in a different look for which we were not prepared. So all kinds of issues caused by us trying to out-scheme the opponent. I think that's what it comes down to when you look at 32 variations or 32 different run calls over that eight-game period. That's, that's not good. As we look back on it, we realized that we would become enamored with things we learned about in clinics and books and videos and seeing our opponents and watching games on Saturdays and Sundays. And we would add something here, something there. And the result was that we just had this grab bag of plays 
which could not serve uh, us well against those good opponents. And it was easy for us to make those plays against inferior competition. But to beat a quality opponent, we needed a sound offensive line play and a solid backfield with reads and execution. And those really can only come through repetition of the fundamentals. So when we're looking at 32 different runs for eight games, we certainly weren't getting things the amount of reps that they needed. These principles definitely were not new to us as coaches. We understood that you need to do that, but sometimes it just gets away from you, right? Especially if you're not analyzing those things, which we really had not done to this point. We weren't applying what we believe because we were enticed by the success of new plays. And when we would have success with them, maybe against that inferior opponent, we thought it was good coaching. And we turned into schemers. And basically, when we looked at it, it it just wasn't working for us. But that was not the end of our evaluation. We wanted to continue to dig deeper. So we looked at some more commonalities. We looked at fronts. And we found that in our analysis of what was a lack of success was against odd fronts. And for the most part, the odd front teams, which would be at that time, you know, some teams played 5-2, some were 3-4, some were 3-3. They moved uh, their lines quite a bit. We saw a lot of slanting and angling, and we had more success against the static read type of defenses that, for the most part, were playing even fronts. Defensive line movement, obviously, was something that was causing problems for our linemen who were not equipped to make those adjustments with the limited amount of reps that they were getting on the things that we had schemed up because we just were carrying too much and there were too many things that weren't interconnected. And so when we looked at that, uh, what we found in, in looking at our opponents, when we looked at the chart, it was, it was just eye-opening. And you probably won't get an idea, but I'll read down this list. So on the even fronts, and this is our run efficiency. Again, four yards or better, our run that picks up the first down. We had an opponent that was eight and three. Even front team again, we ran for 71% efficiency. A team one and nine, 67. A team four and six, 62. A team three and seven, 62. And a team six and four, 58%. So all of those above our 55%. But then we looked at the odd front. Again, it really didn't matter on the quality of that opponent. So we had a team that was 0-10, 53%, and that was our best one, 53% run efficiency below what we wanted against an 0-10 team. A 7-4 opponent was 50%, 7-3, 44%, 2-8, 38%, and a 15-0 team. Uh, we were 33% against them. Obviously, they were very good. They were state champs that year, but still 33% is not very good. So whether that opponent had a winning or losing record, our run efficiency was just not good against those odd front teams. Again, our goal is to be 55% or better, and we weren't meeting that objective. So what we concluded as we went through, we went through this analysis, we looked at things, and then we made statements about it. So we said we became scheme-heavy while sacrifice, a sacrifice to being fundamentally sound. Our schemes did not provide us a sequence of problems for a defense. So in other words, when one thing was shut down, we didn't have something that worked along with that that was complementary, that was a constraint play. We just moved on to a different play. Again, that grab bag idea, grab bag of calls. Our schemes 
did not provide a sequence of problems for a defense, right? Same thing. You know, if you have one scheme that they're going to over defend, that they're going to defend and, and stop, something should be open. And we just didn't have that kind of a sequence. There's just not a logical progression for us. When some something didn't work, we just would try something else. We could not effectively practice all of the schemes that we had. Our man scheme blocking caused our linemen to become tentative if the defense presents a new look or especially if they prevent, presented a movement. And we said that we had to simplify our offense by cutting down our schemes but appear to be more complicated to the defense by presenting more looks, formations, shifts, motions, etc. And we said what we had been using has not allowed us success against the top tier of our opponents. Again, things worked and we'd win games against inferior opponents, although you saw that even against inferior odd front teams, we had some problems, but ultimately would still won, win those games. So that's the research for us. And certainly when you look at anything, and, and I'm pointing out this as an example, that we started with uh, a premise of this isn't working well for us. We have to look at things. And then we started digging into and looking for some of those answers. So let's get back to some practical tips. And to get things started with this process of deep evaluation, it starts with getting all of your data together. Hopefully you had that manpower during the season that somebody was entering that data. Uh, if you didn't, then I would suggest maybe putting together your own ops team, looking for student assistance, somebody who can handle that for you. I, I definitely will link to a couple of episodes that we have with that. But your video system should have all of the basics, which includes the down and distance field position has all the relevant play call information for the offense. That's formation, motion, shift, play call. I'd also suggest that if you utilize multiple tempo procedures, you input that as well as personnel groups. I really feel that quarter or time of game and point differential can be very useful as you dig deeper into the data. But sometimes that's very hard to get. I know at most places I've been, it was hard to do that. At the very least, we could put in quarter. Most of the time, that's because your camera, you don't have that extra camera angle that is focused on the scoreboard and shooting exactly what the time in the game is but on defense you can think about front stunt pressure blitz possibly the shell that you're starting in if you're disguising looks some of those things are the basics that are needed there and then in addition you want to include all the opponent's information as well so those things I talked about for uh, the offense if you're the defensive coach you're going to want to input those and vice versa Ideally, you have a uniform system for breaking down your opponent's terminology, and that helps you better analyze the data, but that's a discussion for some future episodes. And again, then looking at your special teams, the same thing should be done there as well. So this allows you to start to break down the data in different ways. And I've always preferred exporting that data. Maybe that's a little too old school for today, and, and you like to use those reports. But for me, that Excel Help me to sort it in different ways. And, you know, again, that's a preference thing, I think. You could probably, if you're good with the reports, you can do that work within your system as well and not have to export it. But again, for me, I liked having it and being able to sort in different ways pretty quickly. From there, it goes into looking at different aspects of what you do. And start with the areas where you know there were some problems. Start with 
to you what would be obvious, right? For us, it was we have some issues with our run game. So those were the things that we started out. So from there, you want to start to record the basics. So if I'm looking at the run game, it's the runs we've called. I have a list of those. Each of them tells me how many times I called that, the average yards per call, the efficiency of the call, meaning how many times it was four yards or better. Uh, and again, for us, we wanted that to be at least 55%. We wanted explosive plays. We used Mike Ayers, 12 yards for a run. I know that a lot of teams use 10 as that. Whatever it is, however you define it, how many explosives did you have? And we listed also the number of touchdowns that a play produced. From there, the analysis, again, which is done by sorting these in different ways, starts to get deeper. So we have then those categories, as I mentioned, for the fronts. We simply started with odd and even. Now, later, you could break those down. So, for example, if it's an even front team, you can start to distinguish between over or under. If you're playing an odd front team, is it, is it a tight front? Uh, is it a bare front? All the different things that you might see with those. Before you really dig into it deeper, though, you have to have that hypothesis. As I said, these are some of our problems. But I think a good starting point for this is sitting down with your staff meeting and getting input from the coaches. What did they see as strengths or weaknesses? I think it's important to evaluate both of those because we look back at the season, which very quickly becomes a blur. And we have, you know, in our mind, these preconceived notions of what worked well and what didn't. And sometimes uh, it's just not factual. It's not the truth as you get into the data. So again, fill out that data completely, export it, sort those reports, and then see, start to see what the data tells you. So what was the efficiency of those specific runs versus odd fronts? How many explosives? How many lost yardage plays? Uh, the ways you can look at this are only limited by the data that you input. So the more that you have, the different sorts you can do, you could start to refine that even more. Once you have those sorted, and you list those things, that's not the end of the evaluation. This is actually just the beginning. From there, it's determining where we have the issues, and here's why these are issues. Think about how to change or fix those. Think, think about what, what must be learned for you as a coach, what must be learned as players. Is there a technique that needs to be refined or changed? Where can you learn more about that technique? or what drill or teaching progression goes along with it. Is there a play that's better for what you're trying to accomplish and how you wish to attack a defense? If it's a B-gap play, is there a better scheme for you to attack the B-gap? You want to start to ask yourself those questions at this point. Personally, what coaching points do you need to learn? Where are you deficient maybe in some of your knowledge and how you get that play fixed? Again, this starts to develop your off-season plan. So you're going to go through in all areas and look at this. And as I said, we'll, we'll go back through. I'll give you some ideas in different phases of an offense and a defense, things you can look at. But this is just the overall concept here to get you started. So for us, as I talked about, we determined that we needed to do a much better job of creating a base run plan. That started our research. And it led us into running zone concepts and learning that in the offseason, there were different ways of doing it. So once we said, okay, we really like this idea of a zone concept and what we know about it and what some of our coaches brought to the table, 
But then as we started to dig into it, we saw there were definitely different ways of teaching it, different techniques. And so we had to understand what is it we wanted to accomplish, right? So we're back to the drawing board there. We talk about how does this fit into our structure? How does this fit into our philosophy of what we believe? Is our philosophy right? Do we need to change our philosophy? What kind of personnel do we have coming back? Now, that's a whole different a whole different talk for a different time, but personnel certainly works into this as well. So this was an approach that I continued to utilize throughout my career. And let's take a look at the results from that particular year that I talked about. So as I know, late in that offseason, I did take over as, as the head coach, but I maintained the offensive coordinator responsibilities. Um, but there was an incredible effort by our coaching staff as well as our players. They had to learn some new things. But um, the results of ourselves analyzing, evaluating ourselves, finding the answers, and enhancing our structure to accommodate the changes that we might need in both the present and the future proved that it was definitely worthwhile. Not only were we able to focus on who we were as a program, both in terms of our talent and our coaching, but we were able to excel in a way that nobody outside the program had expected of us. We proceeded that year to rewrite the record books at our school. We found uh, a way to get in back into the playoffs, which had eluded us for a number of years. We had the second most wins in school history uh, and the second playoff win in school history. And then when that talent graduated, we were prepared to replace it and our adjust our system to accommodate those skills. In fact, uh, after the second year going into the third year, that, that tailback who we thought could fit well into this, you know, he only had about 600 yards as a sophomore, uh, had 2,000 yards back to back. And then the sophomore who replaced him actually would have broke the previous school record um, that was, was broken by the kid who was graduating. Uh, but again, it shows that we found some things that work and now we were hanging our hat on some things. So our run efficiency that I talked about before improved in every game. Our offense became more explosive in both the running and the passing game. And what we did there really was, uh, was something that we were proud of. So going back to a comparison of, of how we did in every game in, in those run efficiencies, right? Because that's kind of what started this study that led us to the zone running game. Uh, 2003, and I'm going to go just back and forth. 2003, 71%. We were down a little bit with that first opponent to 67%. Uh, the second opponent, 67, improved to 86. 62, improved to 68. 62, went down slightly to 56. It was a, a very muddy game, though. That day, nobody was really doing much. It was back on in the day when you actually played on the grass and mud. Uh, 58% improved to 60, 53 to 78, 50 to 58, 44 to 55, 38 to 73, and 33% to that state champions improved to 47. That was the only one where we didn't hit our efficiency and we lost uh, that particular game. Uh, that was the only opponent we lost to that year. We had to play them again in the playoffs in the second round, but uh, they went on to the state championship a game again that year they did lose it they were runner up but a really good team but for us that was uh, an 11 percent inefficiency improvement per game and it all started with going back to the beginning and asking why and again I pointed out before the tendency I think we all have is to go with our gut to go with what we think we remembered and not get into 
the data. And I think when that stuff's ready, readily available, when you can dig into it and really find what the issues are, you're going to solve a lot of problems. So I suggest, you know, first steps, get all that data into your system. And second, sit down with your staff. Discuss what do we feel are our strengths, what are the issues, take into consideration who's leaving, who you have coming back, all those types of things, and then start investigating. Like I said, uh, Mike Kuchar referred to it as an autopsy, right? Really dig in and figure out where can you improve. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow's episode. We'll get into it a little bit with Noel Mazzoni. We'll learn how he does it. And we'll have some other guests on the show to talk about those things. So uh, as you get into this week, please don't forget to register for our sweepstakes, our collaboration with Glazier Clinics. Clinics being back in person this year, they're gonna give the winner a Glazier Pass for your staff as well as a flight for two and hotel to any of their locations where they're having their clinics. You'll get a rental car in the mix as well. It's a package worth $1,500 on the travel, another $400 on that staff pass. So again, go to glazierclinics.com win to sign up for that. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Best way to do that, get, get on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and DM me. Uh, let me know some of the things that you do as a staff to analyze and break down those things. I'd love to hear how you do it. I think there's a lot of different ways you can. I'd love to keep learning more. Uh, if you don't have Twitter, you can get me at Keith at coachingcoordinator.com. Thank you again for listening. And again, tune in tomorrow for Noel Mazzoni talking about the ways that he wraps up the season.